Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody. So good to be with you. Um, so final uh, week of the series, and today I want to speak about the power uh, of just helping someone, serving people, acts of kindness, and how when we do those things, how, how, how God can use them really to powerfully communicate something of his love to people, even if you're not even getting to the point where you explain the gospel or use your words, but just how acts of kindness and helping and serving people can have a powerful impact on people's lives. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to jump straight in. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. If you don't, don't worry, because it's going to come up on the screen. And we're going to read from verse 20 together. Uh, And this is really a story of Jesus kind of huddling up with some of his disciples and having to teach them a little bit about just how things work in the kingdom. And this is what it says. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. This is, now, you've got to imagine the moment, okay? This is a good, it's, a, it's quite a humorous moment. What is it you want, he asked. I think he already knew. She said, can you grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in the kingdom? You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to for those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, this the other disciples, they were indignant. They are not happy with the two brothers. Jesus calls them together. I kind of imagine a bit of a circle and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, uh, if you come here regularly and you've heard me preach a little bit in the last little while, I told a story a few weeks back about Last summer, we were fortunate as a family. We managed to get a holiday, and we managed to go away. And we went, we went to Germany, and we did a cycling trip with our family. And uh, it, was, it was a bit mad. It was quite fun. There were moments where my wife was telling me, going, what have you done? But on the whole, it was a good time. And there was one episode, which I've told, I've told the story of this, which is basically where we get to a point where one afternoon it rained so heavily, we decided that we couldn't camp because we had little tents with us. I know most of you love camping, but we couldn't camp, and we were looking for somewhere else to stay. Okay? And we couldn't find anywhere else to stay. And my wife, Sarah, went off to a supermarket, and she literally was in the supermarket, and she just prayed, God, please give us somewhere to stay. That doesn't mean we have to camp in this biblical portion of rain that's coming down. So she prayed, and she felt God nudge her, that there was this couple in the supermarket, go and speak to them. So she went to speak to them. Anyway, long story cut short, they kind of said, well, we don't know of anywhere. They were South African and Zimbabwean, so they spoke English, but why didn't you come and stay at our house? And we had this crazy moment where we went and stayed with this family we'd never met before, and they had us and our, six, our four kids, all six of us, in their house for a night. It was an amazing thing, and we discovered they were Christians, and God just opened this door. So... So I've told that story, but what I didn't say is on the same day, that, that morning, it was a Monday, it was a bit of a mad Monday, we had this other moment. So we are cycling, we've left our campsite, we're cycling, we don't have any breakfast. Now that makes us sound like we're completely unprepared. We were quite prepared, but on this, we didn't have any food with us on this occasion. And we were cycling, looking for a bakery, and we thought there would be one in this village, and there wasn't one, and there wasn't one in the next one. 
And of course, nobody in my family is murmuring a hint of moaning and groaning at this point. Everything's nice and sweet. Anyway, so we eventually find this village. There's nowhere to eat. And this German man obviously can see that we're looking a bit lost. So he kind of, kind of comes over and talks to us. He can't speak any English. We speak very limited German. But he kind of indicates that we should follow him. Should I follow him? Should I not? Okay, we followed him, okay? We went with him, and he said, come, come with me. So we, we, we go with him, and he sits us down in his front garden, and kind of like really nice table, beautiful Bavarian garden, and he kind of brings us a drink, and then he says to me, come with me, and he kind of indicates he's going to take me to a shop. So he gets in his truck, I get in his truck, okay? <laughs> you know, all the time you're kind of going, well, I don't know this is going to work out. So, uh, so we drive off, okay, and he's talking to me in German. Uh, I can't speak much German, but because I'm polite in English, I'm like, yeah, good, good, yeah. And, uh, he could be saying anything to me. I could be agreeing to anything. He's like, I'm a psychopath. And I'm like, yeah, good, you know. I regularly pick up English tourists, you know. Oh, good, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, we, we drive off. <laughs> and we drive off, and after literally 15, 20 minutes, we, we turn up at this little shop in the middle of nowhere, and I go in, and I buy our food. I come out. He's still there. That's good, because I did think, is he going to stitch me up? <laughs> I regularly leave German English tourists in the middle of nowhere in Germany. And he takes us back. That's good as well. And we come back to his house. Everybody's still there, and they're all still alive. And... And we basically have breakfast with this guy, and he brings us coffees, and we have about an hour sitting in his front garden. And then he kind of waves us off, and he goes off and does his thing, and we cycle off. And uh, I'll probably never see him again. His name was Joseph, but I will never forget him. Yeah, it was just, like, amazing. When I think about him, it's just like, man, well, that was an amazing moment. And when you experience kind of acts of kindness, whether they're big or small, where there's no agenda, if you like, for the other person, there's no benefit for them, it really registers with you, doesn't it? It, it sticks with you, and not because it's rare, although obviously it is rare, but, but it touches, I think, something deeper within us. They, it sticks with us. Now, we live in a, in a world, don't you, where a lot of the kindness we experience, not all of it at all, but some of it is conditional. It's, it's like a win-win. I will be good to you if you're good to me. I'll be kind to you. If you're kind to me, we get that in sales, don't we? I don't know if you ever experience like I do. Sometime in an afternoon, I will get a phone call from someone who sounds very friendly. Yes, Mr. Varley. Oh, I hope you're having a nice day. I am having a nice day. How are you? I'm fine. I'm thinking this guy sounds more friendly than most of my friends do, okay? <laughs> and he's chatting away, and I'm thinking maybe I'm about to find a new friend on the phone. And then he asks the killer question, Mr. Varley. Have you been involved in an accident recently? <laughs> We've heard you've been involved in an accident. I don't know about you, but there seem to be multiple rumors out there that I've had numerous accidents recently. I'm incredibly accident prone at the moment. I don't know. Anybody else accident prone? Oh, something's happening to you as well, Deb. I don't know. Somebody is out there spreading rumors about me. And if you're in the room, we need to talk. Because I don't know. They keep ringing up. Now, obviously, because he's a nice guy, he's going to be really pleased with the news when I say, well, actually, I haven't. I don't think I have. I mean, I, I hurt my knee a little bit recently. Is that what you're thinking about? My cut my toenail. But uh, I'm thinking he's going to be really pleased when I tell him, actually, I'm fine. I haven't had an accident recently. I'm thinking he's going to go, great. I'm so pleased because we were just ringing to check you're okay. But he's like, oh, Oh, okay. And sadly, the friendship is terminated and over. And it was beautiful while it lasted. But it's, 
It's not authentic. It's conditional, which means when you experience something authentic, where someone steps in and serves you in a way where you could not serve yourself and rescues you when you couldn't rescue yourself, it registers with us. And I think it registers because it touches something deep within us about the way we are made. C.S. Lewis talks about, if you know that C.S. Lewis was a famous theologian, very clever man, he talks about how God made us in his love in order for us to experience his love. He writes this in one of his books, God who needs nothing loves into existence holy superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. And in other words, you and I are made in our very DNA with certain physical needs, you know, for, to be fed and watered and to have Netflix or whatever it is that you need. But also there are, there's an emotional need that we, are, that we need to know we matter, that we are valued, that we're worth something, that we're loved, that someone notices us. It's an emotional, not just desire, but a need, and we all carry it. Now, this is easy to spot in children, right? Babies... You know, there's lots of studies about babies, about the importance of holding them and looking at them and what that does in terms of their development and also what happens when they're not held and looked at. Children, young children, will play endless games with you where they want you to find them and see them. Yeah, and lots of their games are, watch me, find me. You know, they want to be noticed. It's something, you know, they will play games where you have to go and find them in the house. And the problem is when they go in the house and they all go quiet and they don't want to be found... You are in trouble. That's when you know. Like, what happened? It's so it's badly quiet in our house. As a complete aside, I did once meet a bloke with a dog. I was walking my dog. He was with his dog, and he was playing hide-and-seek with his dog, right? Talking about people need to be found. Okay, that's not so weird. Even with my dog, who is, has a reputation for not being brilliant at finding me, if I hide, she will eventually find me. That, I can do that. But the bizarre thing about this guy and his dog was the dog hid Okay, he trained his dog. I know it's true, Steve. Steve looks perplexed, okay? And literally, he'd send his dog off, and his dog would run behind the tree, and then the guy would inch round to find it, and the dog would inch round further so he couldn't be seen. I watched... That is a true story. All my stories are true, by the way. People kind of go, you make up your stories. They're true. That is another true story. I met a guy whose dog hid. It's crazy. But we want to be found, don't we? We want to be noticed. We want to know we matter. And that is why when we feel unloved, when we feel rejected... You know, if you've ever been through a, a, a part of your life where you felt rejected or unloved, people experience this in schools when they're bullied or at work when they're bullied or wherever, it, it, it's something crushing to us because we were made to be loved and to be noticed and to know value. Now, so that is why when we serve people, when we stop when we intervene, when we do something which is totally unagended in terms of, of benefit to us and is purely about a benefit to them, it does something very powerful in that person in terms of experiencing something of value and love in their life. Now, Jesus, in the passage we've just read in Matthew 20, talks about or around this issue of the issue of serving and loving and laying down our lives. And he basically makes two main statements. First of all, he makes a statement about us and about the disciples. He says, I want you to understand how things work in my kingdom. I want to redefine for you what significance looks like, what a life that is significance 
should be. And he says, I want you to understand it's not about being first anymore. It's about coming last. It's not about being at the top. It's about being at the bottom. It's not about being great. It's, if you want to be great, you need to serve. And he keeps saying this kind of stuff. So he's saying that to him, but he also, at the same time, is making a statement about himself. He's saying to them, I want you to understand, Jesus is saying, who I am. He said, I haven't come to be served. I've come to serve. I've come to lay my life down. In other words, to pour my life out as a ransom for many, to win many. In other words, Jesus is saying, as I lay my life down, I am blowing open the gates for many people to come to me. And he's saying something very powerful about who he is and what he is all about, what Jesus is all about and why he came. Now, throughout this series, if you've been here, we've been talking about how we can reach people and share our faith with people. And appropriately, we've been talking about what we do. That's right. And part of this message is about what you and I should do and how God can use that. But fundamentally, Jesus is saying, this is what I do. I do this. Underneath all your efforts, all your desires, all your sharing, in whatever way it is, underneath, undergirding, and way more powerful than all of it, Jesus is saying, that's who I am. That's what I'm all about. I've come to lay down my life to serve so I can blow open the gates and have many people come to me. And he tells stories elsewhere, doesn't he? He tells a story about a shepherd. He says, I'm like a shepherd who has 100 sheep. 99 are still with him, and one has wandered off. Now, if you had 99 and one had wandered off, what would you do, do you think? Oh, okay, I've got 99. It's fine. Yeah, you'd probably go, fair enough. Be all right. We might meet you later on. You're there. And Jesus goes, no, I'm not like that. I've got 99, but I'm going to do everything I can to reach people and bring them home. I'm going to go as far as I have to to get people who are as far away as they can possibly be to bring them home. That's what he's saying. That's the heart of God in terms of lost people. And I want to say for some of us, sometimes I meet people who feel like they've heard the gospel story. Maybe you even come to church and you know about Jesus, but the truth is you feel like because of your past or because of something that's happened to you or maybe things that you have done in your life, it is so dark so broken, so shameful that you feel like you are too far away for God to reach you. That's the gospel is good news. You are sent to it, if you know, in terms of for other people. But there's something about it that you just feel like it cannot be true for me. I, that's just too, I'm just too far away. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you have to understand who I am. I've come to lay down my life, to pour out my life for many to come. In other words, what he's about to do on the cross is sufficient for everybody. If we say to Jesus, do you know, your sacrifice is sufficient for all these people, but I'm too far away, what we're saying is your sacrifice wasn't really sufficient. The cross is not enough. And if you are there today and you're like, you know, I just carry so much shame, so much darkness, I want to say to you, and you believe that you're too far away, I want to say to you, that's a lie. The, the, the Bible describes the devil as an accuser, that he will lie to you, and that's a lie that you are too far away. The truth is, the cross is sufficient for you. I will often say to people, Christianity is performance-related. You know, we, you know we, if you're at job, if you're at work or you're at school or whatever, we're benchmarked on our performance all the time, aren't we, or your salaries or whatever. We live in a performance-related world. 
Okay? Well, Christianity is performance-related. Faith is performance-related. It's just not your performance. Jesus' performance on the cross, he lived a perfect life. He dies a death on the cross. He makes a way. His performance opens up the doors for you. And you can come no matter how far away you have wandered. He says to the disciples, I want you to understand who I am and what I've come to do. I've come to lay my life down as a ransom for many. So even today, if you're not a Christian, or maybe you've just wandered far away, you've done some awful things, and you're there thinking, I can't come home. Jesus is saying, you can come back. There is a way for you to come home. Do not believe the lie that you are too far away. It is a lie. And the truth is the cross is sufficient for you as well. So Jesus is saying, this is who I am. But at the same time, he's saying to the disciples, now this is who you are to be. I want to redefine for you what significance looks like. And he's saying it to a bunch of guys who just can't get where their head around it. They're, they're all about winning. They're all about who sits where at the table. They're all about who's going to be the, worst, most, the most well-known. And he says these words in verse 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Now, if you know the Gospels at all, Jesus teaches about this again and again, numerous times. He keeps saying this kind of stuff, and I think he keeps saying it because they just can't quite get their heads around what he's saying. It's so counter-cultural and so totally counter-intuitive, he just has to keep telling them again and again. When I was at school, I did my A-levels about 10 years ago, when I was at school... Um, <laughs> I had to do A-level economics. I didn't want to do A-level economics. Uh, I was forced into that choice. Okay, anybody else had to do A-level economics? You can confess. It's all right. We'll pray for you as well. Okay, I had to do A-level. I didn't, I didn't particularly like A-level economics. And what I discovered with A-level economics is the more I got taught, the less I understood. I don't know how that worked, but it was like this kind of... That's why I, was, I thought, I'm really clear on this, and then they do another lesson. I'm going, I have no idea how that relates to that. I just, and it, that's what it felt like. And it feels to me a bit like that with the disciples. It's a bit like the more Jesus teaches about serving, the less they seem to quite get it. So he has to tell them again and again about what significance looks like in the kingdom. Now, this is very important for us. I would say particularly, if I can say, for the guys in the room. I'm not saying this isn't important for, for women, but for men, I know for men, uh, certainly in my own life, feeling that your life is significant, there's a drive to want to do something that feels important. That's a good thing, okay? That's a good thing. But Jesus goes, I want to teach you what actual real significance looks like rather than just what the world's going to tell you. And so he starts to teach them and he starts to model to them certain things. He says, I'm going to tell you a story about a Samaritan man who walks down the road and finds there is someone on the road who's been beaten and robbed and how people who should stop just walk past because they are too full of their own agenda And yet this man, who probably shouldn't stop, does stop. And Jesus holds him up as an example. Jesus shows them stuff. He goes, one day there's parents bringing children, little children, 
right? And the, and the disciples are all around Jesus basically going, no, they're acting like bouncers basically at a nightclub. No, no, can't come here, wrong shoes. And they're trying to get rid of the kids. And the reason they're trying to get rid of the kids is what? Because they don't think the children are important enough, are they? That's not what significant ministry looks like, praying for little children. So just send them away. It's not, and Jesus is going, no, no, I want them to be able to come. I want you to understand something about what important and significant looks like in my kingdom and how you are to live. He allows a woman, a broken woman who's a prostitute, to come near him, to kneel, to wash his feet with perfume and tears. He himself, at a point, gets down from the table and washes his disciples' feet. He keeps doing this. He keeps teaching them, talking to them about being last rather than first, about being at the bottom, about where you sit at the table, where you don't sit at the table, about laying your life down, about picking up your cross. And he does it again and again and again. Even this story itself is the product of that kind of issue, isn't it? Two brothers have got together and gone, we really want the best seats in heaven. What a bizarre conversation. But they've decided what they really want is they want to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. It's a bit like going on holiday and going, we really want the best, best beds by the, by the swimming pool. So we're going to go and do what? Put our, we're going to put our towels down. So literally, they've gone, we need Jesus to put some towels down for us in heaven so we get the best seats. But even better than that, even as bizarre a thought as that is, they've decided the best way to persuade Jesus is to get our mum. Because my mum will definitely persuade Jesus. So they talk to their mum, and their mum agrees. It's bonkers. So she comes and says to Jesus, Jesus, I've got a favour. Would you mind if in heaven my, you know, my boys sit on the right and the left hand? And Jesus is very gracious and said, oh, you don't really know what you're asking for. But even this whole story is the product of them totally misunderstanding what significance does and does not look like in the kingdom. And he keeps having to teach them and show them what it really means. I would have loved to have been there. They struggle to get it. And the truth is, we struggle to get it as well, don't we? We live in a world which interprets significance in a completely different way. See, if I was to say to you, If you and I lived lives which were characterized by serving people in completely unagended way, whether in small ways or big ways or both, do you think if you did that, you would have an impact on the people around you? People at work, people at college, people at school, people come. Do you think people would that would impact people for the gospel? I think we would all say yes. Because when people do that to us, it registers within us. So I think we all know this is a very powerful way of living. The challenge is not do we agree, right? The challenge is can I actually live it out? Can I move from agreeing with this to living like this? And some of you do this brilliantly already, but others of us find this more of a challenge. So I want to talk about in these last few minutes just some of the ways of moving from agreeing to living like this. Three things. I want to talk about something you need to understand. I think I want to talk about something you need to do. And I want to finally talk about something you need to really believe in order to live like this. Now, there are lots of other things you could say, but these are th- three things, if you like, which kind of registered with me. The first one is this. If you want to live the way Jesus is talking about in this passage, you need to understand something. And the thing you need to understand is this. If you are a Christian, in other words, if you've made that that decision to follow Jesus, if there was a moment in your life when you've done that, and if there isn't, you can do that today. When you became a Christian, you said to Jesus, I am laying down my life, and I'm giving my life to you now. 
That's one of the reasons why I think becoming a Christian should be done soberly. I don't, there is emotion in it, absolutely. But you really need to consider what's happening at this point because you're saying to him, this life that I've been in charge of up to now and I've lived like this, now I'm saying to you, I'm going to allow you to lead and I'm going to follow you. And I'm not going to be in charge of my own life in the sense of I'm going to live by what you say is most important to me. I'm going to take responsibility. But you're going to lead. I'm laying down my life. It's a hugely significant decision. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 13 about, he tells a number of stories about this, but one of them he talks about a man who searches for pearls. That's what he does. His whole life is about searching. We live lives like this. And he's searching, searching, searching. And for whatever reason, he's probably found other pearls, but for whatever reason, he's never found the one that is the end to all his searching. You know, the one that eclipses everything else. And then one day, he finds it. But it is so expensive, Jesus says. He has to sell everything he has. All the other pearls he's ever collected, all the other things, all the other ones. He has to sell everything in order to have this one pearl. And Jesus is saying this. He said, I am that pearl. If you want to follow me, if you want to give your life, if you want to become a Christian, if you want to follow me, Jesus is saying, it is going to cost you everything in your life. You have to give up your life. But he's also saying this. It's going to cost you everything, but it's going to be worth more than anything. In other words, it's the best decision you'll ever make, but it's going to cost you everything. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. In Romans 6, he says, you were once slaves to sin. You were bound up, and now you're free of that. But now you're a slave to righteousness, a slave to God, he says later on. In other words, you belong to another. You don't, you don't belong to yourself anymore. And if you understand that fundamentally something significant has changed, absolutely changed in your life, I do not belong to myself anymore. Somebody else is going to set the agenda for my life, in other words. If you understand that, that paves the way open for living a life like this. If you don't understand that, you probably won't live a life like this. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing is something you need to do. There's lots of things we need to do. But a very simple way, I would say, in terms of stepping out and living a life of doing this kind of stuff generally. The, first, the second thing is this. I think the prerequisite for serving is often slowing a little bit. Okay. Now, that doesn't... Uh, how many of us feel like we live busy lives? It's all right. I'm not going to make you come down the front. Okay. Yeah. I think pretty much all of us. You ask people, how are you doing? I'm busy. It's a standard response, isn't it? I'm tired. I'm busy. Okay? And being busy is great. I'm, you should, we want to be active and full of purpose and doing those things. But there is, a, there is a point at which if we cram our lives full of our own agenda and ourself that much, sometimes we miss the things that God is whispering to us about. And one of the things I think you need to do is if you want to live a life where you will express unagendered acts of kindness to the people around you in whatever way, there needs to be margin in your world where you can hear him and where you can do something about what he's saying to you. There needs to be enough margin. I've, I've, I've come to believe more and more in the last few years that God is often speaking to me. And I think he's often speaking to you. 
And God is often whispering to me. And sometimes I, I'll get a sense about somebody I need to phone or someone that I'm aware they're in a, they're in a difficult spot or, or whatever it is. And God is whispering to me about a need. Or sometimes I'll get drawn, someone will be drawn to my attention in a room and I'll think, I need to go and talk to them. Or I'll become aware of a need through someone and you think, oh, we should do something. We should give something or we should help or we should give some money, whatever it is. And God is whispering. But if there's no margin in my world, I just ignore the whispers. I miss them. But if there's enough margin, I can stop and go, yeah, I need to call them later, or I need to write that down, or I need to... But margin is the thing sometimes which defines whether I will listen and do anything or just ignore it and move on in my own life. When there's no margin in my life, basically I'm like the disciples who kind of go, no, more important things to do. Or I'm like the, the priest or the lawyer who just walks past the guy on the ground Goes, no, no, I've got, I'm, I'm stuffed full of my own agenda. I'm so full of myself, basically, that I just can't hear anything else. If you want to live a life more open to God in this way, I believe you have to, you have to create a little bit of space to allow Him to speak to you. That's the second thing. Very simple, but quite tricky to do. Here's the third thing. It's the last thing I'm going to say. If you want to do this, okay? more than you have. You have to believe that Jesus is telling you the truth about what greatness is rather than what the world tells you greatness is. You actually have to believe him. You see, if we don't believe him, what will happen is we will just ignore the needs of the people around us because they just won't feel significant enough to interrupt our day because I've got more significant things to do. But if I believe him, I'll think, do you know what? That is a significant thing to do. Now, this is all in balance, and you've got to get on with your life and do your stuff each day. But believing that Jesus is telling you the truth is critical when it comes to living a life like this at all. He says in Matthew 25, Matthew 25 is a pretty powerful passage and worth, absolutely worth reading. But he says these words about the day, one day when we'll stand before him. He says these words, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? In other words, it wasn't recognizable no, he wasn't. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothing and clothe you? When did, you see, when did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I find that personally hugely challenging words. Because if he is telling me the truth, And I think we go, yeah, Jesus is telling the truth. What Jesus is saying is when you do those things, you're doing it for him. He's redefining for us what significance looks like in his kingdom. And if you believe him, it means it births in our heart a desire. It doesn't mean we're just open to God. It means we start looking for God to speak to us in certain ways. You're not just open to it, which is a good step. Now you're looking for it. I'm waiting, God. I'm looking. I'm wondering who it is you're directing to me towards. And I believe as you do that more and more, and I know many of you do, 
God will use you powerfully through very simple acts of kindness to communicate huge amounts about the love of God for people. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Maybe the band can come back, and uh, we're going to worship together.